You're listening to the Fitness and Wellness Class, powered by NASM. NASM's new subscription service, NASM Connected, is the best value in fitness. When you sign up, you'll get access to everything you'll need to expand your career, master new disciplines, and stay up to date with your certification in one great package. Gain instant access to over 350 online fitness courses available anywhere, anytime, on any device. Earn CEUs for dozens of approved providers. Plus, unlock articles, webinars, videos, and podcasts from the biggest names in fitness. Don't wait. Sign up today and unlock the best content in fitness at the best price. Get connected at nasm.org connected or call one 800 460 6276. Hello, everybody. My name is Marty Miller, a regional master instructor for National Academy of Sports Medicine. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to join me during my session here at Optima 2020. We're going to go over non traditional ways to use cardiovascular training for your clients. So first and foremost, I hope everyone's doing well. I'm a big, huge fan of Optima. It's one of my favorite times every year. And I know this year, it's been a very unique and challenging year, but here we are. We're going to get through it. We're going to continue our, our educational growth, and we're going to continue to interact with each other and, you know, do all that fun stuff. And yes, next year, you know, hope we'll be right back in doing our live events. So thank you again for attending the virtual Optima conference. I've been so impressed with the lineup of speakers and so many of the different sessions I've been able to attend. I hope you guys are enjoying it as well. And again, thank you for taking your time out of your schedule to join us here today. So as I mentioned before, my name is Marty Miller. I'm a regional master instructor for the National Academy of Sports Medicine. I've been teaching for the National Academy of Sports Medicine since 2005. I've had the ability to teach all of our different courses, the corrective exercise specialists, the certified personal trainer course, our performance enhancement, even when we had the, we were doing our mixed martial arts conditioning specialists, done that, all the different stuff. So I really thoroughly enjoy teaching, interacting with all of you amazing fitness professionals, and just continue to advance the, the industry. And now more than ever, boy, oh boy, once again, do people realize the importance of being healthy. It again will always be the best vaccine to every single health issue we're going to have. And we're going to go over a couple of unique ones today and how cardiovascular is phenomenal but again here we go so we're going to go into our fun topic today and i hope you guys get a lot out of it and at the end i'll give you my email address and let you guys email me and hopefully continue asking questions so as we go through it when i looked at this i wanted to kind of use some neat unique applications to cardiovascular exercise i'm going to tell you first and foremost when i first got in the industry i didn't care anything about cardiovascular exercise Maybe when I was playing baseball, I would have conditioned at the field, but when I went to the gym, I was only worried about lifting weights. And even in my 20s and mid-20s, cardiovascular work just really didn't appeal to me. I hadn't made the connection with it, didn't see the complete value in it for what I was doing, and I believed in some of the myths. But as I got through it and learned about the science and got connected uh, in my career and with NASM, I started to look at it a lot differently. And now, I have some more fun and engaging ways I like to use my cardiovascular training with. So hopefully some of that will translate into some key takeaways for all of you. But we do want to talk about a little bit of the history of cardiovascular training. Go over some of the common myths. And like I said, I was in that camp with some of them for a while. And then definitely talk about linear and undulating periodization. So some different ways that you can program creatively as you've gotten people through the model. And then talk about some new programming concepts because the one thing I can share with you, I finished my doctorate a handful of years ago. It's probably been more than I think right now, but uh, let's call it six, seven years ago. And when I was doing my research for my dissertation, I wanted to figure out something that would matter. And not that there doesn't need to be more research on the benefit of exercise. Absolutely. I mean, we, we're with NASM. There's evidence-based approach. It's the research behind everything we do. But I wanted to find a little bit different information. I wanted to understand why people didn't exercise or why they weren't consistent with exercise. Because for me, I struggle with that. I don't know why anyone wouldn't want to exercise. 
because we have one body and it's been known for years that exercise, especially when you train with all these amazing professionals like yourself and follow this evidence-based approach, you get amazing results, reduce injury, we age better, all of those type of things. But one thing I found out in my research is there's three personality types towards how people view exercise. And this will really, really taught me a lot about myself with cardiovascular work. So the three different personality types, I'm just going to talk about it real quickly because I'll, I'll reference it a little bit about myself when we talk about the cardiovascular training is there are people that want to know a lot of the information. They, they need to know what's going on. They need to know the why they're doing something. Then there's people that need a goal to chase. They're more controlling, a control-based person, we call it. If you give them a goal, they'll do it. If you don't give them a goal, they might stop training or maybe never really want to train. And then there's the people that fear it. They're afraid. It's called impersonal. They think that, that they're doomed to fail. They think that only fit people exercise. They think that they're going to get hurt. So we have autonomous, which people need to know the why. There's control, which means I need a goal to chase. And then there's impersonal, means oh, it's going to be a horrible experience. So think about that in all phases of training. Bring that in. To, and again, if you email me afterwards, I can tell you where you can find the research and how to assess these people. Very quick seven-question survey. But at least you know how they think about exercise, and you can then talk to them in a matter that matters to them. And again, I will share as we get through it how that really changed my approach to cardiovascular training. So again, those are the three personality types. So as we move forward, we're going to go through a lot of common myths and hopefully give you some guys some new ideas on how to integrate your cardiovascular training maybe just a little bit differently. So training then and now. So when we refer to cardiovascular training then and now, I'm going to use my years in the industry. So we're in 2020. I started as a professional in the industry in 1995 when I graduated college with my degree in sports medicine and worked in professional sports right out of school in minor league baseball with the Montreal Expos. That's what actually brought me down here to Palm Beach, Florida, where I still live to this day. Love it down here. I'm blessed. So what I know about cardiovascular training then, basically just condition people and they're going to get more fit. Yes, there was more to it, but I hadn't really studied it. But a lot of the common myths early, and we could have gone through a full hour just on the myths, but you know, I want to kind of just hit on a couple and then go through some of the other parts that are very important for the objectives that we want to get today. Is one of the myths that I learned real early in my career, even before 1995, before I became a professional, when I was a recreational exerciser and just learning this as I was in high school and through college, was that lower intensity training was better to reduce body fat. Now, I'm going to make an assumption here. I think all of us guys who were trying to put on muscle mass love this theory because we never really had to work hard in our cardiovascular training. Every one of you know what I'm talking about if you're over a certain age. You would see the bigger muscular guys that would have great hypertrophy. They would get on a treadmill and they would walk at like two and a half to three miles an hour and that's it. And they would walk for 45 minutes to an hour. And the theory was that if they did higher intensity cardiovascular work, they would burn muscle or they would have the inability to put on muscle and that lower intensity training was better to reduce body fat. So let's talk about that for a second. Is it really better to reduce body fat or does it burn more calories from body fat? It's actually the latter. The research that validated this was research that looked at people while sleeping. Okay, I'm going to get into my caveman theory here in a little bit. So I'll give you a little hint. If you think about how our bodies adapted over the last 100,000 years, 200,000 years, hasn't changed much. Right? Our body is still designed for survival. So if you think about cavemen and cavewomen thousands of years ago, what did they have to do first thing in the morning? By and large, they had to get up, have the energy to go search out in the world and find their food. So when you look at the different energy stores, it's very easy to convert the carbohydrates into energy quicker. And so the body naturally saves some of that glycogen 
for that first thing in the morning. Now, things have changed. I'm going to walk maybe 50 feet from when I wake up in the morning to my fridge, and there's plenty of food there. But our body hasn't adapted yet. So at rest, right now when I'm sitting here, any calories I burn, a percentage of them will be, a high percentage will be from body fat, especially when I'm sleeping. So that's where that low intensity came is, oh, if you want to burn body fat, do low intensity. But think about that. Why aren't couch potatoes really, really lean, right? If you're burning all of those, your calories from body fat, why aren't people who are sedentary very lean? Well, the answer is they don't burn a lot of calories. So the myth was that if I want to burn body fat, I have to keep the intensity low. Well, you guys have all studied this, so I don't need to go into the science that yes, I might burn through my glycogen very quickly, but the body knows how to create it when it needs it. A lot of processes go on there, but if I really want to get leaner, I need to burn the most amount of calories. That is what's important. So again, sleeping is not going to get you incredibly lean. Burning more calories will, but we will talk about how to do that in a progressive manner here shortly. Then the other one was cardiovascular training builds, I'm sorry, burns muscle. Well, thank goodness over the last, I'm going to say roughly eight to 10 years, the type of training people have done has changed drastically. When you look at CrossFit type athletes, high intensity training athletes, they're very muscular and they're very lean. So it shows you that you can burn a lot of calories and you can still build muscle simultaneously. We know that. And when you think about the high intensity, doing all that explosive work, all that power training, that's phenomenal for changing body fat composition and potentially building muscle. And I really started to think about it. What I At the time, did I want more of the marathoner's body look or a sprinter's look? Now, again, genetics are going to play a factor and age, no question about it. But when you look at the world's greatest sprinters, they are jacked. And they spend a lot of time doing cardiovascular work. So again, I think these two myths have been put to rest that yes, low intensity does burn body fat, but you're not going to burn a lot of calories and that you can still build muscle and get jacked and shredded if you do high intensity cardiovascular work. So again, I had to relearn that through my years as a young fitness professional um, and it kind of did, I have to admit, it created a little... Uh, not in my head that, you know, be careful doing cardio because I was a hard gainer uh, for muscle mass. But obviously, clearly, uh, I love my cardiovascular work now and I know the importance of it for so many different health reasons. So we want to talk about linear periodization first and foremost. So when you take your exam, we are giving you a perfect world scenario with NESM. For the exam, we are saying that in a perfect world, someone's going to come in, they're going to let you do all the assessments. And they're going to go through stabilization. They're going to go through strength endurance, maybe hypertrophy or max strength um, if you need it. And then the power phase in that order, because we want to elicit the responses we need before we would move them through different phases of training. So roughly it takes about four to six weeks. Everyone's a little different. That's a perfect world scenario. Not always can you create that and control that situation because you're dealing with people from different fitness backgrounds, different experiences, doesn't mean I'm not always working back towards that. But that's a linear periodization model. And you can keep that going on forever. You can go four weeks stabilization, four weeks strength endurance, maybe four weeks in the other strength blocks, four weeks in power, then start over again. And each time they go, it should be progressively more challenging. That would be your linear periodization model. So that's the way that we talk about it in the course, by and large, and how the model is set up. So there's a lot of benefits from that for sure. So that's when we introduce cardiovascular work, we're going to do stage one, which is 65 to 75% of their max heart rate. Now, when we look at the rate of perceived exertion on a scale of 1 to 20, it should be roughly 12 to 13. Now, the reason we introduce stage one cardio, that lower intensity, with stabilization endurance is because we're making the assumption that this is somebody newer to fitness and that maybe orthopedically and with their kinetic chain, they're not ready yet to handle the demands of maybe running, jumping, whatever it would take to get their heart rate to a higher level. 
So that's why they match up beautifully as someone's progressing through. So that is stage one with a stabilization endurance, that 65 to 75% max heart rate and a rate of perceived exertion of roughly 12 to 13. Another way you can do it is kind of the talk test. Stage one, I should be able to talk to you the entire time and we should be able to hold on a conversation the entire time. Now, when we look at the next progression, strength endurance, we're now gonna go between 76 and 85% of max heart rate and the rate of perceived exertion is gonna be between 14 to 16. So progressively more challenging. But again, they've earned the right. They've progressed from stabilization endurance to the strength endurance, which means now they can handle higher intensity through their kinetic chain. So this might maybe get them into running. This might get them into uh, some more plyometrics, jump rope, et cetera. But again, we wanna make sure that their body's ready to handle that. Now, the one thing I'm gonna pause and say right here, I've heard this so many times, and I'm sure so many of you on this right now will be like, yep, I've heard that. So you can quote me, you can use this, um, this way to look at it. Is, remember, as an athletic trainer, I went to school for athletes because inevitably they get hurt. We do not play sports because they're good for us. Orthopedically, we play sports because we enjoy the competition. We enjoy, you know, that sport, what, testing ourselves. Running, guess what, guys? It's a sport. We do not run to get in shape. We get in shape to run. I've had so many people say, Marty, I'm going to train with you, but I'm going to run for a little bit. I'm going to get my cardiovascular back. I'm like, whoa, let's take a break. What if you're, you know, this is now you and I are talking professionals. What if their feet turn out? What if their knees cave in? What if they have a low back arch? What if they have no balance on a single leg and they're going to go run? That's a single leg power-based exercise repetitively. So we have to be careful with that. So that's why, again, this is laid out in that progressive manner to begin with. Now, I can tell you straight off the bat, if you deal with high-level cardiovascular athletes and they have phenomenal VO2 max and they do a ton of mileage, but you assess them and they're moving poorly, good luck getting them to stop running. You may not be able to. They might for a week or two, but you want to explain to them because more than likely they're going to be like, oh, that's why after 5K, so-and-so amount of miles, my Achilles, my patellar tendon, my hip, my back, my you name it. So we want to earn the right to be able to run. So we've got to get in shape to run, not run to get in shape. And when you explain it, that I'm going to get you better. We're only taking a small break here. Maybe we can do some things in the pool. Maybe we can do some things on an elliptical. Maybe we can do a stair mill, you know, things like that. Uh, that are less impact. We'll, we're going to talk more about that. Not going to decrease their cardiovascular output. We're just going to change the amount of impact and force to their body. So once again, this is why we talk about the linear periodization model. So I'm sure you know what's coming next is stage three, that 86 and above percent of their max heart rate and the perceived rate of exertion 17 to 19. So when we go back to the talk test, stage one, you and I can have a conversation the entire time. Stage two, we can have a conversation, but there might be a pause after a sentence. Stage three, I always joked around when my clients were stage three, if I talked to them, they want to turn around and punch me because they couldn't talk because they were catching their breath. It's safe if it's done in a progressive manner. Not necessarily safe in the best for somebody, again, that has been a couch potato or inactive for a few years. Now, let's go back to the three personality types I talked about. So... We have to make the assumption that um, our clients might be nervous because they may not come across that way. But again, remember, I, I did some time studying this, that they think we don't struggle with our fitness goals. They think that this is easy for us. They don't know what our struggles are and our, the noise in our own head, right? So imagine you get somebody that, like I said, that impersonal person that's, this is going to be bad. And we take somebody who doesn't move well, hasn't earned the right to move frequently yet, and we go gung-ho into a stage three cardiovascular workout. They might be able to handle it, but what happens mentally, emotionally, and then what happens when they start to get those pains, right? So again, just factor this in that I always like to say two things, fitness and education, because here you guys are educating yourselves 
is a race with no finish line. I'm not in a rush and sprinting to get to the finish line. I want to get you there methodically. I want to get you there safely. I want to get you there effectively. And I want to get you there where you enjoy the process because that's going to change their lifestyle. And that's going to get them to want to do this. So again, this is our linear periodization model. Now, I did share with you that I was going to talk about myself and what I had an aha moment when I was learning about this cardiovascular. I'm sorry, when I was learning about the personality types with cardiovascular. Even if I didn't do this for a living, I am autonomous with my resistance training. I get to the gym, I go do it, I enjoy the process, I know what I'm doing. I don't have to be pushed. Cardio mm, wasn't my favorite. I just maybe never found something I really enjoy. So about 10, 12 years ago, I got involved in martial arts, again, as an adult. And all of a sudden, I enjoyed cardio. Well, because one, I had a goal. You know? So I was autonomous with my resistance training. I was control-based with my cardio. That was interesting to me as I did the research. We're not always going to be one of those. It depends on what part of fitness we're actually talking about. And guess what? My control, my goal with cardio was when I looked at the treadmill, looked to go for a run, looked to go wherever. I was like, man, if I don't do my cardio, when I go in and spar my sensei, he's going to tear me up. That was my goal. Just can I not get beat up as much for my sensei? And the better shape I was in, the better chance I had. And I knew that I'd get tested. So again, now I enjoy it. It's changed the way I look at cardio. Yes, I know the health benefits. Yes, I know all of that. But I needed something that motivated me. So again, just a little extra kind of nugget, food for thought. A lot of times personal trainers say, okay, go do your cardio. Well, guys, are you charging people for cardio training or are you only charging for resistance training? I see far too many client trainers do resistance training, and then they leave the cardiovascular work up to their clients themselves. They're not there with the session. They're not involved in the session. People will pay for that too. Now, I understand in groups and classes, you're blending the two together, and that's not a problem whatsoever. But if I was a trainer, I'm sorry, if I was a client working with a trainer, I would probably actually pay you more to get me through my cardio sessions than I would my resistance training. So again, think about this a little bit differently. You might be able to find a niche in there and open up some more avenues for you and your ability to have sessions because a lot of people dread the cardio work, right? So again, hopefully a, a key takeaway there. So that is our linear periodization and you want to start with that to some level best you can so people have a chance to make the adaptations. Now, if you get someone that is absolutely dialed in the cardiovascular work, yes, you might be able to manipulate that a little bit. Or if you're training someone that's absolutely dialed in with the resistance training, you may need to back off the cardio for things to catch up. But again, they're going to progress as they go through. And a lot of the model, as I always like to say, takes care of things for you. So now we're going to move off of the linear periodization. So from linear periodization, we're going to now look at, sorry, one more slide here, undulating periodization. This is where the fun begins. So now someone is trained with you for four, six, eight, hopefully, at least weeks and you've been able to get them through different phases of training and now we can have fun with the programming because they've made the adaptations so this really comes down to what motivates the client and what makes sense based on the science so if you look here we've got Monday I just picked a total body stabilization program so stabilization endurance and they do stage one not a problem at all Wednesday they do their total body stabilization endurance and a stage two workout they're just kind of matching and then as they're progressing. And then on Friday, they do stabilization endurance in a stage three. So Monday, uh, stage one, Wednesday, stage two, and Friday, they peak, burn the calories before they go out to happy hour on Friday. So again, they're in one phase of training. They're in stabilization endurance, but this is maybe the second time they've gone through it. And now you're undulating their cardiovascular for each day. I don't see a lot of uh, people doing that. They might do it indirectly they might do it by accident we want it to be a thoughtful training progression so again a kind of a cool way that you can do it and you might sometimes not even tell the client 
you know, you may have it in your head going, okay, we're going to do three stabilization. I'm sorry, we're going to do three stage ones in a row because I want to do that. And then next Wednesday we'll go to stage two. But it really keeps them guessing and keeps them kind of motivated to find out what's going on. But it makes it intriguing. Or maybe you do, depending on what you have in your facility, maybe you do a stage one on a treadmill one day. Maybe you do stage two on a bike. I'm sorry, and, and maybe you do stage three. You know, a lot of different ways you do it. Use it. Maybe you do treadmill for all three stages. Maybe someone can never run, so their stage three has to be battling ropes, kettlebell swings, and, you know, something else. Guys, you have a lot of tools. As I've always mentioned, you have the tools for your toolbox. The NASM models your toolbox. Break out the tools where appropriate to elicit the scientific response you're looking for. So again, that's one unique way you can do it. Now, I know some people like to do cardio on different days. Again, you could have, I like to be in the gym five to six days a week at least. So I break up my workout a little differently. So it's just part of my routine. I want to go for at least 45 minutes a day. So you might do Monday, the resistance, Tuesday, the cardio, Wednesday, the resistance. Again, a lot of ways to look at it. Just understand that when you don't have those days in between, you just got to look at the rest and recovery for the individual. So let's give another example here as we move forward. So now we're going to look at total body stabilization endurance and look at things here just a little bit differently. So again, this is still an undulating periodization model. So what we have here is on Monday, we're going to do total body stabilization and stage three. So we're doing a little bit lower intensity on the resistance, and that's why we're going to hit them with their higher intensity cardiovascular work. Purposeful, we got right. If you look at that stabilization endurance training, it's really going to get their body moving well, getting all those little muscles fired up, and getting them ready to move. And then maybe we do something higher intensity with the cardio. On Wednesday, do total body strength endurance, and we mirror it with the stage two. And on Friday, when we hit them with their resistance training at the highest level. Maybe we just finish up with 10 to 15 extra minutes of a lower intensity stage one because we're looking at volume intensity you have to work together, right? I can't have high volume and high intensity. Something's going to get. So that's an example where on the day where there's a little bit lower intensity on the resistance, you go higher intensity on the cardio, and then you flip that around on Friday, higher intensity on the resistance, you go lower intensity on the cardio. So again, just one example of many types of different training programs that you can put together. Now, this is where, again, the training gets really fun. So I said non-traditional uses. So we wanted to talk about just kind of some baselines, some rules, some programming. Again, we could have done even more on the programming, and maybe that's something we'll add in for Optima 2021. So you guys will email me at the end of this and tell me what you think. So now it gets a fun, non-traditional uses. Well, what do I mean by that? One of my favorite clients ever, a gentleman by the name of Jeff. Yeah, it was a privilege to train Jeff. He taught me so much in so many different ways. But Jeff was a client of mine who was battling and doing amazing with Parkinson's. So it was my responsibility to go out and do some more research. I can't say that I was thoroughly, thoroughly knowledgeable like I wanted to be with Parkinson's, whether it's his medications, whether it's what type of training, whether it's what should I expect if he gets, you know, tired or what do I do if he's feeling good that day? How far hard do I push him? What's the research show? So as you guys all know, it's a neurodegenerative disease where there's changes in the brain and the dopamine and all these factors aren't processed well and it creates what you see as the end result with our clients. So one interesting thing, and I should have put this in here, and I didn't, I apologize. If you want a book that I highly recommend, it's not really at a high level written either. It's an amazing book that changed my mind, no pun intended, how I think or sparked my interest in this content is a book by Dr. James Rabbi called Spark. Fabulous book. And what he did is he goes through the research and talks about cognitive fitness. I promise you, and you've probably already heard this, but trust me, there's always new things in our industry. Cognitive fitness will be a part of what you're going to be held accountable for in the future. You'll have to know some of it. So cognitive fitness, we're going to talk about that. And this is all due to an amazing client of mine who challenged me to be a better fitness professional. I went out and did some research. 
So I already mentioned this once. I called it the caveman theory. So it's very easy to understand this now looking back. I think all of us here think the brain is given to us so we can communicate, so we can talk, so we can do all these things. Not really its primary function, survival. We don't have to talk to survive, but we do have to move. So when you look at the way the brain's developed, and I'm gonna pause, a lot of you know me, you know I have three boys. My oldest now, not, I, I used to say three teenagers. I have two teenagers. I have a 21 year old and my identical twins are 19 year olds. And man, did I ever learn this the hard way. And I now I look at my mom and dad and I'm like, oh wow, you went through this with me. The last part of the brain to develop in all of us, is a frontal lobe and girls yes females you definitely mature quicker than us but it goes back to the caveman theory so one of the main functions of the frontal lobe is current behavior future consequences and if you raise teenagers and teenage boys there you have it right you're like why would you do that they can't process it yet and that's into their 20s so pray and have some patience with them it'll come around when the synapses connect but if you think about it from a caveman theory standpoint, 14, 15 year old boys back then were kind of taking charge. That explains a whole lot else with uh, young boys. But they had to th figure out, hey, I need to go grab a sharp stick and chase something down that might you know, maul me and I need to you know, kill that thing. So in a way, thank goodness, they couldn't really process that information, that they couldn't process that future consequence. Well, things have changed now. We love our kids to be able to process that now, right? And you think why females had to mature a lot quicker at 14, 15, they were responsible for other little humans potentially. So explains a lot. So when you look back at the caveman theory, if you didn't grow up in top physical shape, you didn't grow up at all. You had to move. So the way the brain is designed to learn is to move, elevated heart rate, and process information in space three-dimensionally not necessarily designed to sit like i'm here at a desk and just read words on a piece of paper so when we don't get our heart rate up there are things that happen in our brain that we're neglecting and we'll get into that so you can see here on the slide men used to cover at least 10 to 15 miles per day and females up to eight miles per day so fascinating stuff and again this really made me look at things a lot differently so that's why I exercise or I have training programs, but I'm trying to be active every single day. Now there's a lot on this slide and we're not going to cover every little bit of it, but digest that a little bit. Take a look at it. We're just going to touch on a little bit, but the brain can adapt and adapt. It's amazing. And so as you look through the slides, you'll see some pretty cool stuff. One of the other things that uh, I found in some other research by Dr. Raddy in books after I read Spark is when somebody has a stroke, it was originally thought that once you had a stroke, you were never going to regain that function that you lost because that part of the brain had damage, you lost that function. But lo and behold, the brain is adaptable. The brain through exercise can rewire and is constantly rewiring and you can change and regain some of these uh, movements or functions even after a stroke. So as I said at the beginning, there's always great stuff that comes out of exercising. So pretty cool stuff. So now we'll get into a little more practical of it. One second here. Okay. So again, really cool stuff here on the science. All the neural uh, imaging breakthroughs, you'll see great stuff there. And again, I'll be happy to share this with you. Now, I put this slide in there on purpose. So you guys know I've been with NASM for 15 years as a regional master instructor. It's not my full-time job. I love it. I use it every single day. My full-time job is a director of education and training for Techno Gym North America. So what you're seeing there is our skill mill. The skill mill, if you haven't used it, I always say it's undefeated. <laughs> Never been beat yet. It's the non-motorized treadmill. So I can get into the performance aspects of it, that you're the motor, you're the brakes. You have to learn how to accelerate it and decelerate it, right? I can get into all that kinetic chain stuff, more core activation, better posture. But here's the thing. If you look at it, you don't see a TV. 
You cannot check out mentally when you're walking, running, using a skill mill. You are focused on the task at hand. Now, I will take cardiovascular work however I can get it from somebody. But by and large, I don't want people checking out. I want people checking in. So I've looked at my cardiovascular training a little differently. All right, I have my goals. I want to know what my VO2 max is or my estimated VO2 max. I now ride a bike a lot because of Technogym. So I want to know what my functional threshold power is or my three-minute power test. I'm data-driven. It, again, gives me a goal. But what I try to do my best when I do cardio is focus on a task. Because going back to the caveman theory and what you're going to find out in Spark and when you train amazing clients like the ones I've dealt with at uh, Battle, battle Parkinson's is when you elevate heart rate and you keep them on task cognitively, there are amazing things that happen in the brain. Fat, I mean, too much to go into with the little bit of time I have left because there's a lot of key points I want to cover. Hence, why you're going to pick up the book Spark or look at some of the research and dig a little bit. You're going to find some amazing stuff. But if you think about it from a career standpoint, you could now do a cognitive fitness cardiovascular program. Remember I said how many people are charging people for cardiovascular work? Maybe you're not charging it because they haven't shown the complete value of it. But when, if you love working with that aging population, man or oh man, is cognitive fitness going to be important to them? Now, I'm not at that point where I'm worried about any type of cognitive decline, but just like I want to build up my heart, just like I want to build up my bone density, just like I'd like to build up my muscles, why would I not want my brain as functionally strong as possible? So now when I do my cardiovascular work, I listen to the news, I listen to an audible, I listen to a podcast, something that makes me focus. For me, if I listen to music, it almost allows me to check out. Or I do cardiovascular work that is, needs a lot of coordination, like the skill mill, like other pieces, there are times, and there's, and I've done it myself, where I'm just like, you know what, I just need to shut the brain off, and I want to burn some calories. Nothing wrong with that, guys. But don't do that every single time you do cardio. Challenge yourself. Add in one or two or three times a week a cognitive cardio program. It's phenomenal, and I'm telling you, it's fun. And when I started experimenting with this, I had my clients at the country club, and I just, I didn't want to, in a, in a sense, take away from what they thought they were going to get. And one of my clients said, why aren't we playing the games again today? And I'm like, and she's like, that's my favorite part. So pretty cool stuff. So I think it's something that you'll see the research here and what goes on in the brain. We want to increase the heart rate, increase the demand on the brain. And what you'll find, you'll read this in the book, it's called BDNF, Brain uh, Derived Neurotropic Factor. It is the fertilizer for the brain cells. After 20 minutes of elevated heart rate, there's a bigger release, and especially when you are using your brain to handle tasks, etc. So, one of my favorite topics. So here you'll see here what I call the big three. So gamification that you can do when you're doing your cardiovascular training is direct recall, problem solving and or decision making, and spatial awareness. So a lot of ways you can do it. I would do cardiovascular work, whether it's speed ladder, whether it was treadmill, whether it was a bike, whether it was, you pick boxing, shadow boxing. A lot of times it's okay, you're gonna do a 20 minute program and I want you to remember this. And I give them three or four things to remember. Could be all from the same category, could be different categories. And then I'd come up to them halfway through, like, you got it? And they're like, yeah, I got it. And they'd spit it out. And then when I come up again, I'm like, ah, backwards. And they're like, er, my God, I didn't say stop walking. I didn't say stop biking. And all of a sudden, like you would see, they're like, wait a minute, I wasn't prepared for that. So again, with my background in martial arts, I know how to teach shadow boxing and boxing and pad drills. So once I got them efficient with their strikes, I would give them math problems. Okay, any even number, you throw a jab. Any odd number, you throw a cross. And I don't overcomplicate it. Two plus two, two plus two, two minus one. And I'm like, and all of a sudden, they'd be giggling, they'd be laughing. And they start to have fun, but give them a chance. Don't rapid fire. You know, get them going where it's like, all right, two plus two, boom, great. Two plus two, and then you can start picking up the time in between and the processing speeds and things like that and the complexity. And people have an absolute blast with it. So use your tools, use your skills, 
and start to add in some of the gamification that you see here. And again, there's a lot of resources finally coming out in there. So a great quote I see here that I want to put in there is, my whole life has been spent trying to teach people that intense concentration for hour after hour can bring out in people, you know, um, resources they did not know they had. So great, great quote there. Just think about that concentration. So we know that people lack the ability to concentrate right now because again, they're sitting at a desk. It's very hard. So the stand up desk, these other things you can do. So I think I covered that enough for you. So we'll continue on. So I love the cognitive fitness if you can't tell. Now, going back to that skill mill, remember how I said that you have to concentrate, so I talked about cognitive. But if anyone's ever walked on that curved non-motorized skill mill, can you shuffle? Nope. It's not a motorized treadmill. You have to move it. So a lot of times, again, depending where I'm working and depending what I have in front of me, if I have someone that's fit first, uh, you know, that entry-level cardiovascular work, and I notice that they shuffle, and I notice that they don't have good dorsiflexion, and I notice they're not firing their glutes, they have bad posture when they walk, if I had my choice, I wouldn't put them on a motorized treadmill. Why? Motorized treadmill does not force you to improve your posture or your gait. It allows you to burn calories while potentially reinforcing bad posture and bad gait. Sometimes that's your only choice. Sometimes I get it. But just... Ask, all I want you to do is ask the critical questions to yourself is can I fix this through cardiovascular work? Maybe next time you would add a skill mill instead of something else. Or maybe if you have it, you'll look at that piece of equipment a little differently. Or maybe you'll force them to walk outside. Or maybe you'll force them to walk at least at a half a degree incline because maybe they do have to start picking up their foot into dorsiflexion now. So again, just slowing them down, making sure they're getting their full gait. A lot of different things you can do. But yes, you can auto-correct people while they're doing cardiovascular work. So we've got to look at those common movement dysfunctions. Follow the model. Don't get them into the cardio until you've done the proper steps, of course. So I'm assuming here that that's always going to be followed. That's why we don't put people on treadmills right away until we go through the foam rolling and the static stretching and the process. We want them moving well. But just think about, is there ways that I can use some cardiovascular work to improve their movement dysfunction? Rowers are great, right? If you have someone with rounded shoulders and they're at a desk all day, I might not put them on a treadmill. I might not put them on a stair mill where they might hunch over. I might put them on the rower. So again, that accidental exercise that I'm doing the cardiovascular work is forcing them to elicit better posture. Always about getting them the best shape they can be. All right, so let's move forward here. Sorry, my clicker's just going a little slow here. Here we go. So that's the autocorrecting. I kind of jumped to that. So I want to talk about it first. Now have you look at the picture. So how many of your clients shuffle? How many of your clients can't dorsiflex? So now look what's happening on that skill mill, how that's forcing them to elongate their gait, forcing them to dorsiflex, forcing them to extend into triple extension. So now you're getting that, you don't have to just do your four bridges and your cobras. They're going to be eliciting that same response while they're doing their cardiovascular work. Now, it doesn't mean I'm not going to throw in the cognitive games at the same time, right? More bang for the buck anytime I can get it. So I do like auto-correcting cardiovascular programs. And once you start looking around the gym, you'll be like, you know what? Maybe I can do things a little differently. It's not just about necessarily how many calories I burn. You know, stare the middle of the climbers again. I'd rather someone go slower, barely hold on, get their core activated the whole time, focus on their breathing. I'm not worried about how many flights of stairs they can climb in a period of time if their posture is horrible. And when you don't take charge of the cardio, a lot of times when you're overtraining your next client, take a peek at your client doing cardio. They either left, they didn't do it the way you wanted it, or their form and technique is poor. And now they come in and they've re-emphasized those poor movement patterns. So that's why we want to focus on that. So that's the term I use, auto-correcting, when I can sneak in those hidden added benefits. Now, some other great ways. I love what you see here, starting at the top with our 
two awesome NASM uh, instructors, Prentice and Wendy Batch. You'll see a picture of them there. Wendy loves the speed ladder for upper body. I love that closed chain activity too, right? So it is very cardiovascularly demanding with, with certain people. And now I've got my hand on the ground. I'm getting shoulder stabilization. I'm getting core work. Fabulous, fabulous way to do some cardio work and just change it up. I love battling ropes because no matter the person's ability from a power standpoint, they may never jump. They may never do plyos. They may never run again. But everyone I've worked with can sit if they have to on a stability ball, on a chair, in their wheelchair. I don't care. They can do some level of battle ropes, right? External rotation, alternating, together, slams. Now they get some power. They love it. Upper body, heart rate goes up quicker, right? Because they're not used to using these muscles in an endurance manner. Phenomenal way to sneak in some cardio and make it fun. And again, I like to do external rotation because most people internal rotate. I don't do much of the internal rotation or as much. I always work more in the external rotation. So now you'll see the gentleman doing bear crawls. Those are miserable and you can change speeds. So I can go slow. I can make him go faster and cover greater distances. I can go backwards. I can go frontal plane. I can have them bear crawl zig and zag so you get some transverse planes, set up some cones and obstacles. And at the end of the obstacle course, you know what I mean? Have them jump up and do some 10 jumping jacks. You know, it's so many different ways that you can do it. It's fabulous. Bear crawls are one of my favorite. I think it's kind of like a hidden gem in there that you can get in and do it. But again, don't just think strategically straight forward, straight back. Get creative with it for sure. And then, like I said, if you can, have them um, also be able to do at the end of the bear crawl jumping jacks or maybe they go through the speed ladder traditionally and then they get their hands back on the ground and go back through maybe you set up battle ropes right after that you could set these up in a chain together also i love our rower the skill row guys we talk about triple flexion triple extension all the time if you are rowing efficiently guess what you're doing triple flexion triple extension so think about it I'm getting great total body cardiovascular work. I'm working on their posture. Definitely increasing the cardiovascular demand in the sense that they're working their total body. I'm not loading their spine. I'm not loading their kinetic chain. Correcting posture, getting cardio in, fabulous. So again, I love that. So again, doing maybe little sprint intervals, 200 meters, and see if you can do repeats. A lot of fun stuff you can do. And then again, the sled push, whether it's on our skill mill or our skill run from Technogym or you're just pushing a sled, everybody can push a sled. I don't care if there's no weight on the sled. It doesn't matter as long as you have, you know, there are some sleds that are pretty heavy to begin with, but let's assume that you have a sled that everyone can push. Think about that core posture, that shoulder stability, that integrity that you're getting through the spine, glute activation. It can be a walk. It doesn't have to be a run. So again, just some really cool, fun ways that you can sneak some things in, get some amazing cardiovascular work in, and let the person enjoy the process. So follow the model when you look at these metabolic circuits. Make sure you get the rest that they need. Again, it's not about just pure volume and intensity. We want people to be able to recover so they can move efficiently. And you can do things with full body examples, flexibility, core, balance, plyo. So you'll see here some examples. So a lot of different ways you can do it. You can, of course, can use resistance training as part of your cardiovascular work. Absolutely. And the model really takes care of that well in a couple of different phases. So cardiovascular work is simply just elevated heart rate. It just depends on what phase of training they're in and what you're trying to elicit and are you getting creative with the tools that you have around you and are you motivating people properly and not getting them to feel that the cardiovascular is boring, stale, and maybe overwhelming for them and causing injury, of course. So the key thing, I'm gonna go back to the first thing I ever learned as an athletic trainer in the medical profession, do no harm. Rule number one, don't fix anybody. Don't screw them up is what they told me. So let's do that in fitness. Let's keep people safe. Let's keep people progressing. But as I always say, the model's your friend, guys. The answers are there follow it. But that's why you're here. You're learning how to master the model so you can get even better results. So you'll see here, I want to unload, you know, and not load the joints. That's why I gave you so many different examples. So I can do a corrective exercise, target a warm up and do zone one. 
Then the next time I come in, I can do a corrective exercise, targeted warm-up, zone two. Corrective exercise, zone three. So again, the corrective exercise is that perfect, 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 perfect activation sequencing or targeted warm-up before I do any of my cardio programs. Then after cardio, of course, we're going to beg you. Foam roll, static stretch, the main muscles that you really hit, especially if you're doing running, jumping, things like that. Make sure you get into that calf complex, IT band, hip flexors, etc. So key thing is make it fun. There's so many unique ways to train people in cardiovascular work, especially if you go back to those three personality types I talked about where there are people that need a goal. They need to change the goal because if you don't change the goal, they might lose interest, right? If someone's done a 5K, then they're bored. They don't want to run anymore. As well as the people that overtraining cardio in one type of cardio, right? You could be phenomenal at running, but you don't want to always just run. You can get overuse injuries. And then definitely this is fabulous techniques and strategies for the people that either haven't earned the right yet, starting their fitness journey, or afraid to get hurt. So this is, like I said, hopefully beneficial to any single client that you train. So in wrapping things up, I hope you guys got a couple key takeaways. I know that you're going to have so many amazing sessions this year at Optima. I, I looked at the lineup. I've been going through the content myself. It, impressive. Yes, the last five Optimas live were absolutely phenomenal, and the hands-on was great, and the professional development and interacting with so many peers. We'll be back to that. I truly do believe it. This is this is going to be an amazing virtual event. It's already going amazing. I know that uh, I miss being in front of all you guys and gals. But again, this is temporary. We're going to be back in front of each other soon. So in conclusion, I hope you got a couple key takeaways, how the model is your friend, whether it's the full OPT model or if you look at CES, however you want to work that through. And then just get creative, have fun, keep it interesting. Think of the different type of people you have in your facility. And then just let me know if I can be of any assistance to you moving forward. So you've got my email address there, marty.miller at nasm.org. And then my Instagram, dr.martymiller72. So again, thank you guys for choosing to take this session. Thank you for participating in the virtual Optima. All the best to you. For the rest of the year, be well, get out there, do amazing things within the industry, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.